SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. shine sports investors it is another beautiful day in the neighborhood wednesday october 21st let's cock a doodle do it this is the early line right here on sports grid giving you the edge i'm dane martinez and unlike always we do not have my man kevin walsh the candle burner in we do however have my friend your friend friend of the show joe pisapia he is going to help us get all the information we need to make it a profitable day and don't worry we will still be able to put the fun in functional sports content joe pisapia how the hell are you doing brother man i'm doing good my friend and it's very important that we appear on the same show once in a while just to dispel the rumor that we are the same person because we are not just because we're both very handsome bald men from new york does not mean that we are the same person all over this network that they cloned us and somehow put us on other shows so that is important so i'm happy to be here with you this morning my friend Absolutely. In the same way that Clark Kent hands into the phone booth and turns into Superman, you go into the tanning bed and turn into the spitting statistician. But we have a ton of stuff to discuss here as we go into game two of the World Series, week seven of the NFL season. But let's start with the World Series, Joe, because in what I think is going to be a long series, it's funny to me. Okay, you have the difference in payroll. Right. But the Braves, they ain't scared. It don't matter. However, Joe, in game one, when you can have good performances from not one, not two, but three former MVPs, Kershaw only giving up (laughs) one run and six, striking out eight, Mookie going yard, stealing bases left and right. And then Cody Bellinger also going yard. You get the recipe for an 8-3 Dodgers win. What was your big takeaways in this one, Joe? Well, going into the game, uh, my big takeaway on Fantasy Sports today was the difference maker should be Mookie Betts. He was my guy for MVP this year in this World Series in a seven-game series. And And I'll say this. I think sometimes a team like the Dodgers needs a guy who has been to the top of the mountain. I think that was really lacking hmm. with the Dodgers overall. A ton of talent, but really, I think psychologically, when you have a guy like Mookie Betts, who's like, hey, I know what it takes to win, and I'm totally loose, and he was. He was loose before the game. He was loose after the game. And yeah, Cody Bellinger did have the big blast to put them ahead. And yes, Clayton Kershaw did perform to the expectations finally for once. But I think it's Mookie Betts. It's not just the offensive Mookie Betts. It's the defensive Mookie Betts. It's the feel, the style that he has, and the energy he brings, not to yeah. mention the speed, too. Those two stolen bases were huge in this game for him, Dane. And I'll tell you what, it really kind of put Glass now out of this game, and that was the end of things. And I think that inning right there with the double steal, mm. and then obviously Mookie stealing third, and the whole thing, he changed the energy. All of a sudden, the dynamic of the game became about him. You're trying to pick him off second base, and all of a sudden, you're not focusing on the hitter. You're focusing on Mookie right. Betts, and that's what makes him such an important player in this series and in game one i think as important as kershaw and bellinger were to me mookie betts was the difference maker okay fair enough let me ask you about this because game one um 
okay, you got Mookie's speed, you have these MVP mm-hmm. performances. I want to ask you, because going into game one yesterday on this show, I brought up two factors that I don't know if a lot of people think about, and I want to know if you thought it had any impact. One is the fact that actually the Dodgers had been in that building for the last week, right? And the Rays right. have never been in Globe Life. It's a new stadium in the American League this year, and obviously the East didn't play the West or the Central. So this was an experience, even though the Rays were the American League team and this was an American League park, the Dodgers actually had more uh, experience with the nooks and crannies of it as we welcome in our radio audience from around the country. Big shout out to all the affiliates. Thanks for getting in on the grid early with us on the early line. So that's one thing, right? Did you think any familiarity was in play? And also, this is the first time the Rays... Had any fans in the stands all season long because they were coming from California and San Diego where that wasn't the case. The Dodgers at least already had a little bit of experience with fans booing and cheering and heckling, whatever. Do you think moving to the new World Series environment mattered at all? Uh, I could say maybe the big stage of the environment, because I think it is different when you're in the World Series, and I think it's different when you're facing a team like the Dodgers, but I think they will knock the dust off a little bit after Game 1. I'm not surprised they dropped Game 1, and I know a lot of people going into the series were talking about the failures of Clayton Kershaw. If you go back and you look at the stat line of Clayton Kershaw's 30-plus starts, in the, and again, it's a big sample size. We're talking almost 170 innings in the postseason for Clayton Kershaw at this point. Everything is pretty good. The K per nine is well above nine. The walks are low. The hits per nine are low. The whip is 1.09. I bet you didn't know that. You know what the difference is? The ERA. It was four and a half almost. And you know why? It's because every time there's a big moment in one of these games, he would fail. It would be that big hit in the big spot. It would be the bad walk in the bad spot. There would be the undoing of Clayton Kershaw. And that's what was so frustrating is that it wasn't always that he'd pitch bad. He'd always have that bad moments at the worst time. And I think last night, when you finally put that behind you mentally, I think it goes a very long way, and I think it's very dangerous now for the Rays because you have a more confident Clayton Kershaw coming back in a couple games Mm. to face you again. So I don't think it's a matter of the, the stage was too big for the Rays. I just think they got into a position there where, you know, the bats really didn't come alive. You don't score enough runs. You're not going to be competitive in games. And I think there's also that danger of as hot as Randy Rosarena is and has been, you know it's baseball. Yeah. It's a game of streaks. Eventually, it's going to end up a some. It's going to stop. And I think that is the problem: is who picks up that slack when it stops. Yeah, I, I hear you. You know, my guy Orosi Pollo ran the Oroz Arena <laughs> 300 push-ups a day. That is going to come to an end, right? Like, I think about Shane Spencer, Kevin Moss of Yankee fame, right? Like, it's not going to last forever. I also thought it was interesting, and we'll talk more about this on the other side of the break, that the Dodgers' bullpen came in with relatively clean innings to hold the lead. I was wondering about this Dodgers' bullpen if they were not named Gratterall, in essence, and they were able to hold the lead lead. We'll talk a little bit more about this one, and then we'll turn our attention to game two, which could be a pivot when we come back. We are off and running. Joe Pisapia and Dane Martinez right here on the early line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Thank <laughs> you. 
Hey, welcome back in, everybody, right here onto the early line, giving you the edge on the grid. We got Joe and Dane locked in, talking about game one of the World Series, you know. And, and Joe, honestly, I, I mentioned the idea of fans in the stands. I mentioned the idea of, you know, the travel for one of these teams, not the other. The other thing that I think is really important from the series, if we step back and think about it, is unlike the previous series in these baseball playoffs, we're going to have off days, Joe. Okay, we're going mm -hmm. two, then an off day, then the three, then the off day. And I think that is very important for these teams in terms of managing their bullpens, managing their starting rotations. And I found it interesting that the Rays let Glasnow go 112 pitches before bringing in the bullpen. We talked off the air. This is not Rays-like per se. Do you think the off days have anything to do with it? Or is, you know, Glasnow now, you know, kind of knocked out of commission? all the way to game four or five now yeah, that's a great point uh i guess you could look at the off days and say well there's opportunity there for him to rest a little bit more than you're used to so far in this playoff series and i think what's made some of these playoffs so fun is the lack of time to have downtime yeah. like everything is just balls to the wall and everyone's emptying the tank every single game and that's made it really fun especially in the ds and lcs not so much in that first round but I think what's so fascinating is the takeaway of you look at the difference between how they handled Charlie Morton, who was absolutely cruising, and they took him out, mm. you know, basically 70 pitches in that game, which I thought was a huge mistake at the time. Turned out not to be, hey, that's the raise. And then you had Glasnow give up the home run and come back out for that next inning. And I said, okay, you let him come back out for that inning. And then a guy gets on base. And as soon as they did, I thought, okay, you're going to pull him. And they didn't. And it was very on Kevin Cash-like. And I thought that was a very strange move by them. And I understand, hey, Glasnow's your guy and, and you want to build the confidence and he might give you the best chance to win. But you are the Rays. This is what you do. You hyper-focus every single little right. moment of every game and manage it. Why would you stop now? And I hope that they kind of understand that this is their identity. If you're going to have that identity, be consistent because I don't think you can train a guy for a sprint and then expect him to run the marathon in a game like this. And nobody has that kind of pitch right now that's going to go 120 pitches in a, in a playoff game. There's no Verlander, Scherzer, Cole type guy in these rotations right now. That's not the style of baseball these teams are really playing. So it's something to keep an eye on. And I think basically that was to their detriment that he let him go that long into that game. And we all know that's the inning where things unraveled. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Joe, I think you make a great point um, in terms of the way teams manage bullpens these days, right? Off days or not, this was something odd to see the kid go 112 pitches, which what he did. And then also, to be quite honest, he did it in only four and a third innings, right? So that mm -hmm. only compounds. Yeah. The he was laboring, he Dane. Maybe... He was laboring. Exactly. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And, and, and so the question then is, where do we go from here? Because what I will say is that at least this game was not tight in the 7th, 8th, and ninth, And so neither the Rays or the Dodgers, I would say, use their, you know, their top-tier relievers, right? right? And so those guys are still available for Game 2. And that's what we do, turn our attention now to Game 2, where, listen, we have the pitching matchup. It's going to be Blake Snell for the Rays, and it's going to be Tony Gonsolin for the Dodgers. The Dodgers are minus 152 on. On the money line, the Rays come back at plus 132. But the first thing I want to ask you about in this matchup, Joe, is the total. The total is at eight. Yesterday, it was at seven and a half. I had this conversation with Kevin, right? I understood they were aces, but I also understand that as the playoffs go along, right, things get tighter and tighter. Good pitching happens, right? Defense wins championships. We understand all that, but the Dodgers went above that total by their damn selves with the home run ball. So uh, 
What do you think about this total? Because these pitchers are also not the aces of the staff, like we saw yesterday. A reasonable people person might assume that it's a less strong pitching matchup, thus more offense. Yet the total only went up from seven and a half yesterday to eight today. Are you willing to zoom over again for game two? Well, look, the fact that you pointed it out, it's the first thing that popped to me when you see the line is that total of eight. And I think it's yeah. an over personally when I look at it just because it feels like you're not getting those kind of stars. You're not getting Glasnow and Kershaw, right? And, and you don't want to take the thought process of what happened in game one and X, Y, Z. Now, that's not the smart thing. You have to look at what the pitching matchup is. and You have to understand that, yes, you are going to get into these bullpens. And although the bullpen of the Rays has been great, I think you have to understand, too, we're talking about the Dodger offense, too. And they showed you last night that they can beat you in lots of different ways. They can beat you with running the bases, not just the power they can beat you by hitting balls you know line drives down there kiki hernandez had a huge hit there you know it's it's a uh, little ball and big ball like that's the thing it's it's right. that's what makes the dodgers so difficult they're almost in a lot of ways like the kansas city chiefs like they can beat you in so different so many different ways the mm. chiefs that's what makes them in part impossible yep. to guard against and i think when you're looking at that number here you know, you can't figure Blake Snell is going to be pitching into the seventh inning. That's probably not going to happen. Gonsolin's pitched well, but he's still pretty green, I think, overall. And this is the World Series. So I would expect the Rays offense to wake up a little bit today. And uh, I don't expect Blake Snell to pitch well into a seventh inning. So if that's the case, then I think the over is definitely the way you want to be leaning in this game. All right, fair enough, though, Joe. One thing you just said, though, and I love the analogy, right? Yeah, the Chiefs have the answers to whatever questions you pose, Mm -hmm. and the Dodgers have the ability to, like you say, go big ball, go little ball. We saw that Mm -hmm. with the double steal. We saw that with home runs. Do the Rays have the ability to play, uh, in your words, big ball. I know they can play small ball, right? I know they can do all that stuff. I know they got some contact hitters, fine. But outside of Randy Arozarena, is there anybody that you're scared of, right? Meadows, Kiermaier, Choi. Are you, if you're Gonsolin or any other pitcher from the Dodgers, are you scared of these guys? Do the Rays have the ability to play that kind of game? I fundamentally believe, Joe, If the Rays are going to win this World Series, they're going to need to get one of their four wins in some kind of 11-9 game. They're going to have to outslug them for at least one of the four wins. I just don't know if they have the capacity to do that. Do you think they do? That's the question, my friend. Because I'll tell you what, without a Rosarena being hot, it's tough. (laughs) I mean, Austin Meadows is a good hitter. There's no doubt about that. Austin Meadows can be that guy. He could step up into that void. It's nice to see Kiermaier get a home run. Turner, Betts, Bellinger. Of course not. Look, nothing is. Nothing is. But I'll I'll take it a step further. It's also not Springer, Altuve, Bregman, and all those guys, too. You know, the Houston Astros match You know, it's right. You know, they they get the Rays have found a way to beat all those teams. But a big part of that was not it was the timely hitting that they got from an unsuspecting yeah. source. And I don't know how long you can sustain a hot streak in baseball like that. Now we've seen it. You know, we saw Carlos Beltran a few years ago, you know, when he was with Houston, have that incredible run, right? Yes. You know, all the way through in the playoffs. Yes. And and that does happen where a guy gets hot for like a month at a time. But you know, understanding the law of averages of baseball, this is tough. Now, Choi was not in the lineup yesterday, right? You had uh, uh, you had Diaz, I think, playing first base. So I think that's a little different. Choi does, you know, bring a little bit to that lineup too, a little bit of pop, I think. But it's not a home run hitting team. So if you're the Rays, what you have to do is get back to your basics, which is make sure you're running the bases well, make sure you're putting the ball in play, making contact, moving guys over, do what you do and create runs. And if you could do that in one big inning, I think mentally the swing comes back. You know, people always talk about, 
uh, the momentum in football, right? It is the exact same thing in baseball. Okay. It really might even be worse because there's moments in baseball where the air goes out of the balloon. And I can tell you right now, if the Rays put up a, a, a two in tonight's game, that's not going to cut it, and the air is going to go out of the balloon a bit, but and they're going to start to self doubt a little bit. And I think that's understandable because offensively, it's not like they can look to that one guy in the middle of the order where they count on him all year long. Arosa Rain has been great, but how much can you put on the rookie? He was the first rookie to ever win an MVP yeah. in the LCS. That's a lot of pressure on a young kid. He stepped up, and there's no doubt about it. The guy has delivered. But at a certain point, somebody else has to step up. And we'll see if it's Meadows or somebody else. But you're right. It's a real concern here for the Rays against a lineup that just does not quit for the Dodgers. No, absolutely. With a guy like a Rosarena, you're excited and hope the hot streak continues, right? right? But if you're in a place where you have to expect that or rely on that, it is a completely mm-hmm. different situation. So we only got a minute left here, but I do want to then press you on this. Can they put the little things together tonight, Joe? Would you like them at a plus 132 uh, you know, spot to do exactly what you're talking about? Wake up, put it all together. Play small ball and get the win tonight. I like it better against Gonsolin than I do against somebody like Walker Bueller. And and that's the truth. And and it's not a knock on Gonsolin because all these guys like May, Gonsolin, Urias, they've all stepped up and had big moments here for the Dodgers this season. And that's the most incredible thing. Yes, they do have big payrolls, but they also have these homegrown kids, especially arms, that they can rely on, which is terrific. So, yeah, I actually do think that you do have an opportunity here to score some runs against Gonsolin. And if you don't tonight, I'm telling you, I think that's when the ghosts start to creep in a little bit. You start to get a little spooky here and a little worried about what your future is in this series. No, absolutely. I think that is fair. Like on the Dodgers side, we have the right to expect these former MVPs to come up big. Mookie Betts energizing the team defensively. We've seen guys like Tatis and Machado energize the team as well. We are looking for who will be that man for the Tampa Bay Rays tonight. When we come back, we turn our attention to college football and bring in Joe Lisi to the early line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line. We, of course, also welcome our radio affiliates from around the country, including the mightier 1090 out west. Thanks for waking up very early with us and getting on the grid. Now, listen, if you've been watching us over the last couple of weeks, you know Kevin and I have started to talk more about college football. As that is getting going, you know that I'm all about the chaos theory. But we decided to bring in one of our experts, and we are doing so now. It is Joe Lisi, who from college football today you can see on sports grid every saturday from 10 a.m to noon him and mike blew it but we want to get the inside scoop a little earlier than that so we bring in joe lisi now and joe thanks for doing this with us we hope to have you every week to talk college football how you doing man i'm doing well dane i'm amped up for week number eight we have the mountain west of big 10 kicking off i'll be up until about four o'clock in the morning this saturday breaking down these games there's nothing better and we're starting to get a full slate of possibly 60 games within the future so i'm loving life right now 
Yeah, it's got to be like Christmas morning to you as more and more <laughs> conferences come online. You mentioned the Big Ten, and I would love to ask you about that first, okay? And it's also, it's interesting, right? And people say this all the time with the rankings and the polls that maybe you shouldn't do polls until about, like you said, seven or eight weeks into the season because I see in the top 25, you know, I see Ohio State. Penn State, Wisconsin, even to a lesser extent, Michigan and Minnesota, who have a very interesting game, in my opinion, on Saturday night. But fundamentally, Joe, do you agree or co-sign the idea of teams that are literally O and O being in the top 10? Like, isn't there going to be a surprise somewhere? And on some level, doesn't this give teams like, let's say, a Penn State a kind of an unfair advantage because they now have less teams they would have to hop over or fewer teams would have to fall by the wayside for them to get a seat at the dance? Talk to me about your thoughts about these Big Ten teams, especially the ranked ones, being in the catbird seat before we even see them on the field. Yeah, if this was a preseason type of uh, a poll, I would have no problem with it, Dane, in terms of that type of assessment. But the fact that we're into week number eight now of the college football season and we have Ohio State and Penn State ranked. Now, granted, they're two of the top teams in the Big Ten and more importantly within the nation this year. But you're right. From the media perspective, they don't have to do a whole lot but just win out of their ball games, And they're not going to move in terms of the poll from this standpoint. And when you look at some other teams – like LSU that got a slow start this year and and probably most likely won't be in the college football playoff mix, it makes it very difficult. So I agree with that assessment. I think you have to play on the field in order to be ranked in the top 10, especially in week number eight. But this is the current landscape that we're in in terms of college football. It's not just the Big Ten. How about the Pac-12? That's starting a week later on November 1st, a very easy road. Should we have an undefeated team in terms of that type of situation? Yeah, you know, we thought about that yesterday here on the early line as well. And I got to tell you the truth, Joe. I've got family in Oregon, okay? They send me green and yellow stuff all the time. (laughs) But this is what I wanted to ask you, right? Okay, so I get it, okay, if like in past years a UCF or a Boise State were like, ah, we can't get there, even if we went undefeated, right? I look at the polls and I see Oregon as the first Pac-12 team. And I think they're at like number 13, for goodness sakes, Joe. I also then looked at their schedule. They've only got six games, Joe, that they have to get through. So on one level, right, maybe that's a positive that there's only six like landmines that they have to clear. Right. But then how much could Oregon Uh, USC, Washington, Utah, anybody else who runs the table but is only, what, 6-0, 7-0 with a championship game? And when I talk about Penn State at 0-0 being already number 8, right, not having as much work to do, then I see, let's use Oregon, right, at number 13, also at 0-0, but with only six opportunities to show their wares to the country, right, and to the voters and to the media. Let me ask it to you straight up. Is there any chance in hell that any Pac-12 team could ever get to number four this season? 
I think so. I, and I think because really? of this year, because you see what happened in terms of the SEC, we saw the, I want to say the parity this year, right? Teams unprepared. We saw the national champs, LSU, come out and lose to Mississippi State and KJ Costello. We see Georgia struggle to Alabama. So you're going to have a lot of one loss, possibly even two lost teams in the mix. And if you have an undefeated mm. Oregon or USC for that matter, Dane, then it's an easy assessment that you put that team over uh, an SEC team or an even right. ACC team for that matter. The problem with Oregon, though, is not just in terms of the polling. It's they lose four of their top players this year. They lose uh, their top offensive tackle who opted out. They lose three or four starters from that secondary. So on paper, Oregon may look like the front runner in the Pac-12, but they're going to have a very difficult road in terms of getting that type of continuity on the football field with a lot of moving parts, including their quarterback, Anthony Brown uh, and and Tyler Sauer fighting it out in terms of fall camp to take over for Justin Herbert. So it's not that easy for Oregon to crack the top four this year. All right, fair enough. And I got to tell you my thesis here, okay? I believe at the end we're going to see Alabama, we're going to see Clemson, we're going to see Ohio State. I'm trying to figure out value for number four, Joe. So now I look to the Big 12, and I look to Oklahoma State, who would kind of be like next team up, right? I fundamentally believe Notre Dame will fall by the wayside when they lose and get boat raced by Clemson. I never believed in Carolina. I believe that, you know, Georgia – may get a second loss, even if it's in the SEC championship game, right? So I'm looking at who could be that next team. And now I see Oklahoma State sitting there in a major conference. They don't get the benefit of Oklahoma, right? Because Oklahoma is no longer even in the polls. So could Oklahoma State be that team? They got a big matchup this weekend against the Cyclones. Give me a little bit of detail on the Cowboys, on the Cyclones, and if these Big 12, you know, top of this conference can stack up. Who do you like in the Big 12? Oklahoma State won't, would all they have to do is take care of business and watch others fall by the wayside. Can they take care of business? Great point, Dane, and this was my pick to win the Big 12 at the start of the mm. year when I put out my preview, so I'm not backing down with the Cowboys okay. in terms of what Mike Gundy has in terms of offensive weapons. Now, this is a critical matchup going up against Matt Campbell and Brock, Brock Purdy for Iowa State. This is a blue-collar team that wants to run the football with Brees Hall, but when you look at Oklahoma State in terms of Tylen Wallace, Dylan Stoner, I mean, they have offensive weapons. Chuba Hubbard, that was a 2,000-yard yeah. rusher last year. Now, the Concern entering this matchup is the quarterback position. Their starter, Spencer Sanders, went down with an ankle injury week one against Tulsa. It's been the third stringer, Ingleworth, that's carried this team over the last couple of weeks. Now they're going to use both quarterbacks in this game going up against Iowa State. But it's more importantly, Dane, the defense of Oklahoma State. I've looked at it in terms of this uh, assessment in terms of week eight. I think they clearly have the best defense in the Big 12. They're solid and run support their opportunistic and forced turnovers and that's what you want to have out of the top team within the conference now from the series perspective Oklahoma State's won seven of the last eight games picked up this victory by seven points last year in Ames I think they got out and win this coming Saturday over the Cyclones won't be easy but I do feel they get at least a seven point victory in that matchup and then they turn around two weeks from now and have to face Texas so that'll be the ultimate test whether Oklahoma State can 
get through this gauntlet of a schedule. They face Oklahoma at the end of the year as well. But this clearly is the best team in the Big 12 this year. Okay, fair enough. That's interesting that they could be led by their defense and be standing tall in the Big 12. Now, I got to tell you the truth, Joe. I want chaos. Okay, so if let's say they don't get through the Big 12, right, and Penn State takes a loss, you know, and there is only those three big boys left standing. Is it possible, Joe, that the Cincinnati Bearcats can get to number four? Okay, because they are undefeated. And you talk about uh, Oklahoma State having a big matchup, right? They're at home against number 17. Well, Cincinnati would have a resume-building win if they go on the road to SMU, who's also ranked seven uh, in the top 20, right? If they get through that and these other teams fall by the wayside in their conference schedules, and unlike most years where power a uh, group of five teams have 10, 11, 12 games on their schedule, since he only has, I think, eight. Would an 8-0 and Cincinnati or SMU or BYU, for that matter, if they got through, could this be the perfect storm for so many reasons in this coronavirus season that we could get a group of five team that's undefeated to number four? And if so, tell me about Cincinnati. I need to learn more about them. Definitely, and, and I think this is the year to do it. I, I was uh, disappointed that they didn't expand the playoff this year in terms of the current environment to eight teams. They kept it at four. But that being said, we have a good group of five uh, teams. You mentioned BYU with Zach Wilson, physical at the point of attack. So is this Cincinnati team, and that's going to be the matchup yeah. going up against Shane Bouchelle and SMU in terms of SMU wants to press. They want to put the pressure on Cincinnati's defense to match them score for score from an offensive perspective as well. Cincinnati's built in the interior, Dane. They're very physical at the point mm. of attack. They want to run the football, averaging 178 rushing yards per game with their running back, Dokes. That's secondary for Cincinnati statistically. Holding opposing offenses to 51% completion percentage, no touchdowns, seven interceptions. Now, really? they haven't faced a, a passing attack like SMU. They played Austin P. they played Army, they played South Florida. So, that, I mean, that's the resume so far. But they do have Desmond Ritter and Ben Bryant. They're do, uh, two big play quarterbacks. They're game managers, but could also take a game over with their arm. Hmm. They're a physical group. Now, when you look at this matchup with SMU, this is going to be the game that SMU misses their leading wide receiver, Reggie Roberson. That's out for the year. He, he uh, stepped out last week against Tulane. The team didn't seem to miss him from an hey, offensive Joe, perspective. We got to go to break, Joe. We got to go to break. Do you mind sticking around on the other side for like two no. minutes to finish this? Because I got to yep. find out if Oklahoma State and Cincy, if I want, you know, they're 200 to 1, Joe. And if I get them in the playoff, I'm edging off of it. <laughs> I want to see if this is viable. Tell me more when we come sure. back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Right here to the early line, giving you the edge on SportsGrid. We stick with our guy, Joe Lisi, for a couple of minutes because if you've been with us here on the early line, you know I'm looking for chaos theory and I'm looking for a way to get a 200 or 150 to one shot into the final four. And Joe, I thought it was actually viable, unlike a UCF year or a Boise State year for a number of reasons, right? They're only playing like eight games in their conference schedule. But the key for me is that Cincy and OK State 
are already in the top 10. So not as much room to go. They don't have to hop over as many teams. Not as many teams have to fall by the wayside as in most years. And you were telling me about Cincinnati, that they are built as a tough, hard-nosed physical team led by their defense. Do you think that matches up well with what is a more high-flying passing attack of the Mustangs at SMU this weekend? I'll always take the more physical team that can run the football more effectively. So I like Cincinnati plus the two and a half points in this matchup. Small underdog, but when you can run the football and shut down the run and make a team one-dimensional from a defensive perspective, you have an opportunity. Give me the blue-collar team in Cincinnati this coming Saturday. All right, I love it. And trust me, the fact that you are now with me on Chaos Theory makes you an incredible friend of the show. The last question I do want to ask you, the Big Ten is getting going this week. And we talked about whether or not it was, you know, fair uh, for teams to be already in the top 10. I'll give you Ohio State. We all know about them. But teams like Penn State already in the top 10 is intriguing to me. But I want to ask you about Michigan and Minnesota. Um, Michigan and, and Harbaugh, In this year, I think they had a lot of players actually leave or opt out, including McCaffrey, I believe. And so they're going into Minnesota. I actually think Minnesota is a solid team. I know their big-time wide receiver opted out, opted back in. I think Bateman is the kid's name. Uh, Is Harbaugh going to start off 0-1 even though they are three-point favorites? I don't think so. They've owned okay. Minnesota this decade straight up, Dane, 12-2 and two against the Golden Gophers now. Minnesota's solid, another blue-collar team, but they lose their top two running backs in Brooks uh, and, and uh, Rodney Smith from last year. That's going to make them, I think, a little bit one-dimensional. And Joe Milton's an athletic quarterback for Michigan. That's been the Achilles heel for the Wolverines under Harbaugh, 12-12 and 12 on the road or on a neutral field site since 2016. But this is a game that I think they can run the football, shut down the run for Minnesota, and I do feel they covered this three-and-a-half-point number Saturday night uh, in Minnesota. All right, fair enough. Well, Joe, thanks for spending a couple of minutes with us. We really appreciate it. We're going to bring you back every week in this spot as we go through the college football season. And, Joe, every week that we go where chaos is still live, it will be a fun time for me. Thanks for spending a couple of minutes with us. We'll talk to you next week, Joe. Anytime, Dane. Love the show. All right, absolutely. We appreciate that. Friend of the show, Joe Lisi. So now we turn our attention back to professional football as we bring in our guy Joe Pizapia back in. And I got to tell you something. Joe is a fantasy guy like myself. Joe does FST with Craig Mish. And so we thought that we had an opportunity to talk about, you know, some of the NFL injuries, some of the waiver wire. You know, I do my diamonds and fugazis, but to also get added context from Joe Also get a couple of targets from Joe in terms of guys to buy low on, in terms of guys that maybe are performing well that you think you can sell high on. So we're going to turn our attention to that. And we usually do this here at the early line, looking at our waiver wire diamonds and fugazis. We will do that. But first, to set the stage for that is the injury report, right? That's what we have to look at because a lot of times when you pivot here in the waiver wire, it is the kind of next man up. So let's look at that. We talked about it yesterday as we bring in our guy, Joe Pizapia, back in. You know, we had the the Philadelphia Eagles get ridiculously banged up, right? With Zach Ertz, Miles Sanders going down. You see that Baker Mayfield was pulled because of the ribs, because of ineffectiveness. Raheem Mostar, just when we think we can have nice things, he gets 
hurt again, right? Jonu Smith added to the list in Tennessee. Devontae Parker, although the Dolphins have a bye. As we bring in Joe back in now, I want to ask you specifically about the Philadelphia Eagles, right, Joe? I mean, listen, Deshaun Jackson down, Jeffrey down, the kid Rager down, both tight ends down, and now Miles Sanders as well. When they go to Thursday, who are they going to be relying on? Are there any fantasy assets left in Philadelphia, Joe? Well, I don't know about you, Dane, but I'm going to pick up a helmet and try to show up there and see if sure. I can get in the game because there's hardly anybody I left. Slot. I'm not touching that one. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now uh, that it it is a bad situation for Carson Wentz. And he's not making it better because of all the picks he's thrown. And he has definitely had some deficits. There's no doubt about that. And it would not shock me to see more Jalen Hurts get involved in this offense too. Running some trick plays, some different things. Because it seems like they're going to have to do something and get creative here. Because believe it or not. This is a playoff game Thursday night for the NFC oh, East. Yeah. The NFC East oh, yeah. is 5, 18, and 1 collectively, yes. and they played three games against each other. This is a dreadful division. We have to go back to 2014, the last time you had a team under 500 make the playoffs, and I think you're going to have it this year potentially in this division again. But from a fantasy standpoint right now, you can't feel great about Boston Scott because he had the backfield to himself the first two weeks, and it really was not dazzling. I think we can all agree with that. And now you're also making them more predictable because you're taking away the other guys. Now look, Travis Fulgham has stepped up there's no doubt about that i think this is a time to be adding goddard there's hope that he can hopefully get Mm. back onto the field sooner than later but it is a tough sell right now for the eagles i still think they can win this football game but dane it is getting harder and harder to not let carson wentz get away with the excuses because of how few guys he has to really throw the ball to hand the ball off to or even just block for him at this point yeah, and you say even just block him at this point. I think that is the key, right? Like Lane Johnson mm. is in and out of the lineup. And, you know, a lot of people who are, you know, fantasy players, right, they think only about these skill positions. And the fact is uh, a damaged offensive line can completely eviscerate an offense's chances. You mentioned the Miles Sanders injury. And you talk about Boston Scott. I want to ask you about that because Boston Scott is, in fact, one of my waiver wire diamonds in the rough this week, okay? Because he is kind of the last man standing. You mentioned that it wasn't amazing his first time out, but now there's even fewer weapons for Philadelphia to go to. We're talking about kids from Old Dominion. We're talking about the backup quarterback having a package of plays, right? And Boston Scott is only on rosters in 14% of leagues. I know it's not amazing, but even now, Joe, as we start to have teams with you know, what I'll call quote unquote regular buys teams and managers are going to be forced into odd situations. And honestly, I think you can do worse with Boston Scott. He's going to have to carry the load. You can. And if you miss out on him, see, here's the only thing too. It's, it's what's this offense going to look like. And I think that they're going to have trouble running the football because they have, I mean, Miles Sanders, basically what he's doing every week. If you're watching the games, everybody out there, he's breaking that one big run. And that's why the totals look good. But the, when you take away that big run, The yards per carry is not great. I wonder if a guy like Corey Clement catching the ball out of the backfield might be a Mm. better PPR use. And and look, and you can look at it and say, nobody's probably a good use, right? But we're in desperate times here, and desperate times call for desperate measures. So so what you want to do is you want to understand, okay, if I got Boston Scott, if I missed out on him, let's say, he was in the top waiver wire claim, and let's say I missed out on everybody else I wanted. Maybe Corey Mm -hmm. Clement can get you by as a flex PPR running back this week. If he falls in the end zone, great. But I think from a PPR standpoint, it wouldn't shock me to see him get involved a lot because 
I think when you have bad offensive line play, the first thing you want to do is try to make sure you're getting rid of the ball quickly. And I think that really portends a little bit better to a guy like Corey Clement's skill set than Boston Scott, because I just don't believe in the offensive line right now. So we'll see. But I'll tell you what, the guys on that list, I think Justin Jackson is the one to keep an eye yeah. on. Uh, I think he will continue to play well in that offense, too, now that uh, Eckler's been out. And uh, don't sleep on some other guys who like Gus Edwards, because that's another guy that sure. Gus Edwards had the highest yards per carry of any other running back in Baltimore. So just keep that in mind. I understand they're on a bye this week, but still, if you're looking to try to get some more running backs right now collectively, that's not a bad name to be picking up either. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mentioned the Justin Jackson teams coming off their bye. Listen, managers, especially in this crazy season, are going to have to make tough decisions when the walls close in on them, sometimes on Saturday afternoon, right? Like when a guy's already played on Thursday night right. football, that has happened to me. And boy, does it suck. The other name I had was J.D. McKissick. <laughs> and Joe, for me, remember a few years ago when like Chris Thompson was by far the best running back of the Washington football team to own? I actually thought that was going to be the case in Jackson again this year but i digress um well i feel jd mckissick can take on a lot of that role and when i see kyle allen under center i'm actually concerned about my shares of terry mclaurin down the field with chemistry mm. with the old buckeye haskins but i'm more intrigued by a guy like jd mckissick because it seems like allen is not going to be aggressive and he's going to dump it down negative game script garbage time still works right it does, uh, and I think Logan Thomas is another beneficiary of that sure. same sort of thing. Uh, sure. I would be looking at that same kind of thing and actually I'm worried about Antonio Gibson right now because Gibson had started to be trending upwards right. in the last two weeks now with Haskins not a quarterback, all of a sudden there's been a little bit of regression. Now, that might be the perfect time to buy low here because remember, Antonio Gibson is a converted wide receiver to a running back anyway, so it's taking a little bit of time to figure that out. Um, look, McKissick was that guy last week. You can't feel great about it because you can't feel great about Washington's ability to score points. However, this I'll week they get targets, the Cowboys. <laughs> so does it oh, matter? Sure. That's the question. Sure. And the answer to that question is no, it doesn't matter because yeah, anybody can not. score in the Cowboys. The Giants put up 30-something points against them. Joe, me and uh, Kevin Walsh, we had a side bet in that game. I took the under on the Giants team total of 22 and a half, and I will never make that mistake again. Every time we do a little bit of diamonds, we also got to do a little bit of fugazis. You know, like Don the Jeweler, something you need to forget about, Joe. And I'm so happy to be able to do this piece with you. So I was talking about the tight end position, Joe. And I actually think Rob Gronkowski is still a fugazi this week. You may need to do something at the tight end position, right? Andrew's on a bye. Gasicki on even on a bye. You may have just lost Zach Ertz. And I know a lot of people are going to pivot to the name brand that is Rob Gronkowski after O.J. Howard went out with the Achilles. He has grown a little bit in production. But I'm saying Mike Evans is still playing as a decoy. They've discovered Ronald Jones. I don't think that opportunity is going to be something you want to hang your hat on week to week. So I throw out a couple of other tight ends that are low-owned or rostered that you could also pivot to instead of Rob Gronkowski. You mentioned Logan Thomas. Trey Burton has been a revelation. Fells is one of two tight ends in Houston that have been doing decent. And then Jimmy Graham, listen, he, the reverend, the superstar, he is getting targets in the red zone. And that's really all you can look for at the tight end position, right? So tell me, am I crazy about fading Gronk? Do you like some of these other tight ends or even others? Because this is a week where fantasy managers may have to address the tight end position. 
Well, not only is Graham getting those targets, he's converting them. See, Mike Kosicki's sure. actually got more red zone targets, but he has less touchdowns and less reception. Right. So that's the thing. It's not just about the targets. Are you converting them? And Jimmy Graham has so far this year. Uh, Logan Thomas is the guy, especially this week against the Cowboys, that I'd be looking right. at. Uh, even on FanDuel, I think he's around 5K or something like that. I don't want to say automatic, but if you're looking to drop down at tight end with all the injuries and all the people who are on the main slate this particular week, it's definitely a way you can go. I am with you in the sense that Rob Gronkowski is a fugazi here. I would not be buying into this game he had. If you watch that game, you also saw that the Green Bay Packers were trying to cover him with corners, and he can't do that. You're not covering this guy with secondaries. He's too big of a guy, and that's why he had the catches he had. Most other teams have been guarding him when he gets out there in space with the faster linebacker on their team, and it's been perfectly fine. It's why he hasn't caught a lot of stuff, because he is not the same speed anymore, but he is just a foot taller than some of these other guys who are trying to stop him, and that's why Green Bay failed there. Uh, collectively to stop Rob Gronkowski in those spots and and give it to Gronk. It was a fun turn back the clock moment for him oh, and Tom sure. Brady, no doubt about that. I will throw another name out there that isn't on the list. It's Minnesota Vikings Irv Smith, too. That's mm. another guy going forward to keep an eye on. He's starting to emerge a little bit. This guy was a really good tight end in college, and he's yeah. starting to get more play in the offense and keep an eye on that because, again, I think he's rostered less than 10% of leagues right now. No, I like that. He may be ascending and leapfrogging Kyle Rudolph, the red zone reindeer, for sure. We have to talk more. We're going to get some of Joe's buys and sells. We're going to ask him about the impact of a quarterback change in Miami. But, Joe, this guy's a fugazi. You need to forget about it. Can you say that? Forget about it. Hey, forget about it. What do you want from me, eh? There it is. The early line is back after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back, everybody, right here to the early line, giving you the edge on Sports Grid. Dane and Joe, Joe and for Kevin, and we appreciate him waking up early with us. He's got, like, kids to get to school, so he's up anyway. And yesterday, Joe, we heard breaking news in the morning, and it was that the Dolphins are going to tour Tagovailoa as their starting quarterback after the bye. Now, people can say, listen, Ryan Fitzpatrick got him to 3-3, three and three, what have you. I think this was the formula the entire time. That's the only way, Joe, they make this move while they're still technically like a half game out of first place in the division. It was always probably uh, after the bye, we'll give him the two weeks to prepare. What I want to ask you about, though, Joe, because you got, we have you as a fantasy expert here, I want to ask you about the fantasy impact. Mm-hmm. One thing I know is that Ryan Fitzpatrick has no problem giving Devontae Parker, giving Preston Williams, giving Mike Kosicki a chance to go make a play. Right Mm -hmm. now, I don't know that they're going to let Tua or want Tua to be that much of a gunslinger or a gambler. A, do you agree? B, does that have any impact on guys like Parker and Preston Williams? Look, you're three and three right now in a division that's all of a sudden imminently winnable. Open. Uh, I think you let Tua be Tua. And I think this is why you're okay. starting him because you feel like he's ready to be Tua. And I don't think you draft the kid and let him play at this stage right now of his development if you don't think you can just let him loose on everything. And uh, look, he, he's got Miles Gaskin playing well. That's going to be a big help to him. We'll see if Breida can get more involved in the offense. My guess is that he will going forward. But this is the time. And it's funny because every bold prediction 
NFL pre-draft show that I went on, they would ask me and we would talk about it, and I would say eight games for Tua. And they'd go, what are you, crazy? Well, I said, you don't understand this kid. Nobody competes like this kid. He is going to compete his way back, compete his way onto the field, and he is going to prove everybody wrong because this is who he is. And here we are, Dane Martinez. We're in a bye in week seven. Yeah, and man. what week is it? It is week eight. People are saying three games, four games. No, no, no. Eight because you got a shot here when you have Tua. He is top notch, ready to go. Uh, I think a guy like Preston Williams right now is a guy that you must pick up in leagues if he's still available okay. too, because that's another guy with Devontae Parker possibly, you know, still dealing with an injury. That's a guy to keep an eye on. He could be a big beneficiary. So could obviously Gasecki too. Yeah, and they will have the extra week to prepare. The Dolphins mm-hmm. are on a bye. You got lucky with that prediction, Joe, though, because, you know, the bye week had to move because of the schedule and the COVID and all that stuff for the Dolphins. But I'll take any correct prediction if I can get it. I also think Justin Herbert's success maybe mm. changed the calculation of what a rookie quarterback can do. Our number two of the early line up next, Dane and Joe, right back after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 